Welcome to The Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word, rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. Okay, on the Sinus Gospel Series 2, there's a lot of things that you will be hearing recurrently as we start this series. I'm still going to expand on the scope of the message of the gospel. Okay, because um, we didn't finish it. That point, that point, that point, the scope of the message. So we didn't finish the scope of the message of the gospel, so we'll explore that in great detail. And you would start to hear recurrent themes like the kingdom. Okay. You will hear things like eternal life. We left off in parts 13, 14, exploring how the end of the gospel is the coming of the kingdom. Right? The coming of the kingdom. When we started the series, I explained, after I explained to you what the gospel was, that the gospel is the good news of the fullness of God's eternal will for mankind, purchased, enacted, and perfected in finished work of Christ, right? Its aim is to reconcile man to God and establish God's kingdom in the earth through the lordship of Christ and the instrumentality of man. That's very crucial. We identify three elements of the gospel, reconciliation of, of the people of mankind to God and his kingdom. His kingdom. His kingdom. Domination of the earth for his kingdom and colonization of the earth as his kingdom. Again, you see the common denominator, the kingdom. When I said teaching, I've explained a lot of times that we have unfortunately majored, when we talk about the gospel, we have majored essentially on what Jesus did and how our sins are forgiven and how I always explain to you that that is just the entry point into the gospel. It's the entry point. Oh, my sins are forgiven. You can't stay there and build an altar around that and say, oh, my sins are forgiven. That's all there is to it. Let's live our lives anyhow that we like. It was your anyhow living that Jesus came to deliver you from. Jesus did not die to equip you to live anyhow. It was your anyhow living that he came to die to deliver you from. That's why 1 Peter 2 says he has called us, verse 9, out of darkness. It's a twofold calling. He didn't just call you to something. He called you from something. And that's what it means for something to be holy. Something is holy, kadosh. It means to be brought out or hagios in the Greek. In the New Testament, it's hagios, in, in the, which is the same word translated sanctified or translated saint. is the word hagios in the Greek. In the Old Testament, is the word kadosh. Q-A-D-O-S-H spelled Kwadosh but pronounced Kadosh and it means holy. It means to be brought from something, separated from something and separated unto something. Does that make sense? So this thing was ordinary. The moment I selected it, I, I took it out of ordinary and brought it into extraordinary. Does that make sense? If I take something out of a place, it doesn't mean that I have put it where I intend for it to go. 
But when I take something out of a place and put it where I intend for it to go and cause it to do what I intend for it to do in the place I intended for it to go, then that thing becomes holy. So nothing or no one is holy by their own accord. It has to be designated to you. Are you here now? Nothing or no one can be made holy by themselves. I taught you that purpose is the intent in the heart of the manufacturer for creating an, an item or an object. And therefore the, prop, the, the, the created thing cannot determine what its purpose is. The microwave did not write its own manual. And therefore I cannot wake up and say because I heat food up I can dry wet clothes. It's not heat. The TV did not write its manual. The manufacturer determined the intent for the product, then he created it. Therefore, nobody can designate themselves holy. Nobody can walk their way into holiness. Are you hearing me? Let me say this very carefully. Listen to me very carefully. There's nobody that God used because the person was desperate. Remember willingness, consciousness? Everybody God is using, God intended to use. Are you hearing me? Everybody God is using or will use, God intended. Nobody prayed until God decided to use them. In other words, God had no plan to use you. But because you were so desperate and you, you had so much passion for the things of God, you prayed. God now, now noticed you. And I said, okay, I was using other people, but since you are so pressing into portals, And realms and dimensions, let me use you. I repeat, God is not using anybody that he did not intend to use. If God is using anyone, he intended to use them. In fact, most cases, the only people that did not know God intended to use them were the people he intended to use. I check through scripture. An angel comes to, to, to Gideon and says, Hey, mighty man of valor, big guy. <laughs> Senior man. Big bros, undertaker, ultimate warrior. Gideon looks around. Then he looks at the Lord. He says, "Excuse me, sir. I don't, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but uh, with all due respect." What are you talking about? I'm the smallest in my father's house. My father's house is the smallest in our tribe. Our tribe is the smallest in Israel. Now come on, come in, mighty man of Allah. I don't even know what a sword looks like. I'm a farmer. I'm in the threshing floor. And I'm threshing the wheat in hiding. And you come and say to me, mighty man of Allah. How shall these things be? Mary asks the Lord. Seeing I do not know a man. Check through the scriptures. Is there no other person in your house? No other son? Oh yeah, these are all the sons. Oh, there's one. It's with the goats. Someone says, send for him, for we shall not sit until he comes. David comes in the scripture, says, ruddy of appearance. Rough around the edges. Coming straight from the goats. 
smelling like the goats and the sheep. And as soon as he shows up, God tells Samuel, that is him. Arise and anoint him. And David is anointed and he goes straight back to the goats. You'd have thought that after anointing, he would have gone into the palace. You'd have thought that Jesse would start to treat him like some star boy. You know, oil has been on him. You know there's a difference in Christianity between oil and oil. Oil is the normal one. Oil is the spiritual. Oil is the spiritual one. That's the one that carries weight and occupies space. Now you'd have thought that on account of oil upon the head of David, Jesse would have gone, ah, a king, future king, cannot go back to the sheep. And he went straight back. And Moses starts to automatically stutter. A, a prince trained in mathematics, trained in science, trained in poetry, philosophy, trained in music, trained in oratory. Training poise, training executive presence, all of a sudden starts to stutter. Because God said, You are called to deliver my people Israel. Instantly, he realized that nothing he had gone through had prepared him for what God was calling him for. So, in most cases, you find that the people that God calls to use. He's the one that informs them that he chose them to use. The unlikelies. At what point do we see that Moses prayed and fasted and asked God if, if how he said, if you can use anything, Lord. Lord, whatever you are doing in this season. Oh, you will be shocked. People are just there doing their thing, having regular lives. And then angel appears. God comes. Abraham is there, a pagan. Pagan. Didn't know God. God called him and said, Leave your father's house. Next thing he says to him, Walk out before me and be perfect. Next thing he says, I'm cutting a covenant with you and you will keep it. What did Abraham do to qualify for it? He didn't even know God how much more prayed to him to, for him to use him. Elisha is farming, tilling the ground. Elijah is going past and throws a mantle on him. Yes. And instantly he says, let me say, kiss my father and mother goodbye and follow you. And he offers those oxen as sacrifice with the wood of the oxen. Kisses father, mother goodbye and follows Elijah. What indicates that Elisha saw it coming? And I can go on and on and on. For you to understand that whoever God is using, God intended to use. Nobody, I'm strong God. Say, so you must use me. Amen. So we look at those three elements and realize that the recurrent element of the gospel is the kingdom. Right? Therefore, the gospel is the good news about the restoration of God's kingdom on earth. 
through man by the finished work of Christ. The gospel is the good news about the restoration. We dealt with all this in series one. Of the kingdom of God. Kingdom of heaven. Matthew and Luke sometimes confuse us or try to confuse us. And again, unfortunately, theologians, and that's why I'm starting series two from here. There's a lot of confusion going on in Christian circles already. Christianity is one of the most disjointed of religions. Yeah. So many branches. Not of, not of the churches. Of theology and doctrine and dogma. Very confused. There's so many different branches of Christianity. And even in the reformed or in the New Testament or new creation realities bunch, there is still a lot of stuff going on about the messages of the gospel or the gospels. So theologians and Bible scholars have succeeded in drawing a distinction between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And when you go out to meet people and share the gospel, you will encounter such intellectuals. Vain intellectuals. So the difference, the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. So there are two kingdoms. So what, what would Jesus then mean when he says a kingdom divided against itself? Cannot stand. Of which kingdom is Jesus? Then he goes on to compound it further by, noticing, by noting or creating a difference between the gospel that Jesus preached, the gospel that Jesus' disciples preached, and the gospel that Paul and the apostles preached. Now, if you remember when we started UTG, somewhere around part 2, A or B, or thereabout, I began to explain to you how Moses and Abraham had the gospel. Right? Galatians 3 and 8. And scripture saying that God will justify the Gentiles through faith, preach the gospel to Abraham, saying, and I see it, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, Galatians 3 and 8. So the question is, if, and this was Paul speaking, so if there were different gospels, why would Paul not have clarified which particular gospel was preached to Abraham? Let's start there. Does this make sense? I said at the end of the gospel is the coming of the kingdom. That means, and this is a very strong statement, if the gospel hasn't come in you, if the kingdom hasn't come in you, you haven't believed the gospel. If the kingdom hasn't come in you, you haven't believed the gospel. Because the ultimate result of what the gospel comes into a man to do is to birth or restore the kingdom. Are you hearing me now? To birth or to restore the kingdom. Now, on the basis of UTG Series 1, I can begin to say some things. I've thrown them around here and there to make more sense to you now. Forgiveness of sin was not the ultimate in God's eternal plan for man. Forgiveness of sin was not the ultimate in God's eternal plan for man. We'll look at what was. Now, remember that when I said that if the, gospel, the kingdom hasn't come in you, you haven't believed the gospel. Because if you believe the gospel, what the gospel begins to work in you is God's kingdom. Let me remind you or refresh your memory about a teaching that went on here. And then you will get to understand a few more things. I said to you in that teaching, in the introduction of what became a 35-part teaching, that to be Christ-conscious 
is to be aware of and respond to the person of Christ, the nature of Christ, the message of Christ, and the system of Christ. Remember that. In your virtual notebook right now, underline the word system. To be Christ conscious is to be conscious of and aware of the person of Jesus of Christ, the nature of Jesus of Christ, the message of Jesus of Christ, and the system of Christ. Remember that as we go into UTG series two. So we start to look at the conflict in the message. What are, what are people saying? You know, you know how the gospel is so simple that sometimes even in the simplicity of the gospel, teachers of the gospel now start to want to complicate it in order to want to sound different from everybody else. And I've said to you over and over in this house that if we're teaching the gospel, we'll all sound the same. Because if something is different, it is not the gospel. Right? So is there a conflict in the message? Was Paul's message different from Jesus' message? Were they the same message? We'll start to explore that now. We started in part one, series one, and I said Jesus came preaching the good news of the kingdom. You remember that? The gospel of the kingdom. Mark chapter one. I hope you have your Bibles ready. Are you here? So now there's all kinds of stuff. Oh, Jesus preached something different. You have heard people who also attack the gospel of his grace say stuff like, Jesus did not even preach grace. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Shebi is 16. I did not come to abolish. It was one of the stupidest arguments to exist against the message of grace. Do not think I came to abolish the law. I did not come to abolish the law. I didn't come to destroy it, but to fulfill. Why are you saying the law is no longer in effect? When Jesus said, I did not come to destroy it. Why are you destroying what Jesus did not destroy? <laughs> Jesus did not come to destroy the law. Came to fulfill it. Uncle, do you know what fulfill means? Anybody sitting here right now, Google the meaning of fulfill. Leave scripture, leave Greek. Just use English now. Give it to me. Yes. To satisfy. To carry out. To bring to completion. To achieve or realize something desired. Promised or predicted. To carry out as required. To bring to an end. To execute. To bring to realization. To prophesy a promise. To make full. To bring into actuality. Are you hearing how foolish the argument sounds now? Okay, so now, I did not come to abolish the law. Let's leave abolish, we'll come back to it. But I came to fulfill it. Okay, let's start. I came to what? I came to satisfy. I came to bring to actualization. I came to meet the requirements of. I came to bring to an end. I came to achieve. I came to complete. I came to execute, carry out. What? To pack and dispatch. To complete. To realize. To come true. To execute. So if Jesus did all these things to the law, how is it still existing? How many of you have made a pledge in church before? How many of you have fulfilled your pledge in church before? 
How many of you have been attacked after you fulfilled your pledge and saying the pledge you pledge, you are still paying? You vowed. You fulfilled it. No matter how your name looks in that book, once it's 10K, you vowed and you are finished paying it. The moment you finish paying the 10K, your name is cancelled. You are relieved of your vow because it has been executed. Your vow, your pledge is no longer binding after you have met its requirements. So how is the law still binding on the New Testament believer when Jesus has fulfilled it? Oh, what did he mean when he said he didn't come to abolish it? Duh. He didn't come to sidestep the law. He didn't come as though the law did not exist. He was born under the law. He was born with respect to the law. It was with respect to the law that on the eighth day, he was taken to the temple to be circumcised according to the law. According to the law. It's according to the law that they will go to Jerusalem every year to worship according to the law. So he says, don't think I came to abolish the law. Don't think I came as though we don't have a constitution. So I'm doing what I'm doing as though the law doesn't exist. No, I came in full acknowledgement of the law that I will fulfill it. It was because Jesus acknowledged the law that he fulfilled it. If he abolished it or if he made it of no effect as though it was not binding on him, he would not have even lived under it and fulfilled it. And therefore his life would not have translated his righteousness. Are you here? Mark 1, I said this ages ago. We have not gotten there. Mark 1, 14 and 15. Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came daily, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's another word you should pay attention to in series 2. Repent. Yes, yes, Repent. Repentance. Repenting. Matthew 4.23. Matthew 4.23. Matthew 4.23. And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues. What was he teaching? Matthew 9.35. Matthew 9.35. You see what he was teaching. Verse 4 and 23 doesn't say it, but 5, 9 and 35 says, Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues Preaching the gospel of the kingdom. 4.23 says he goes around teaching. 9.35 explains what he goes around teaching. Yes, so again, don't mean a hurry to arrive at a conclusion until you have the whole picture. Yeah. Because very soon, I don't know if you will get there today or maybe next week or whatever. You see where the, the disciples post-resurrection were teaching the word of God. That's why they said Moses is being taught in every city. They were teaching the word of God and only one person came out and started teaching Christ. The first person on record to preach and teach Christ in the New Testament is not Peter or Paul. First person on record. That's there preaching Christ. It's not Peter or any of the, the other 11 disciples. And certainly not Paul, not Barnabas, not Titus, none of those guys. It's itching to go, who? Stay with me. <laughs> so he went around teaching. And 9.35 says he goes around teaching what? The gospel of the kingdom. So if Jesus was teaching, what was he teaching? The gospel of the kingdom of God. 
It means that if Jesus, everything that Jesus taught must be considered and received and interpreted on the basis of the kingdom. Because he went around, what was he teaching? The gospel of the kingdom. It means everything he taught was about the kingdom, which means to understand what Jesus taught. You must understand and look at it in the light of the kingdom. Not just in the light of Jesus. Because you see, we have focused on the gospel being about Christ Jesus. The person. The nature. We have left out the message and the system. Does that make sense? The person of Jesus, the nature of Jesus. How about his message? How about his system? Because any gospel that preaches Christ without highlighting what Jesus was about, it's not complete. It's not the full gospel. Now, a lot of us New Testament believers have gotten stuck in, oh, Christ Jesus, my salvation. You see why I keep coming at you from that angle? My righteousness, my justification, and all these lovely things that we have in Christ Jesus. To what end do we have them? Because those things we have are not the end. You, are give, you didn't have a phone. You were given a brand new phone. Remember UTG Series 1? Brand new phone complete with everything in it. And you never launched the phone. You just charged it and left it there. Who gets a phone to just have a phone? You want to make a phone call? You go out into your neighbor's house. I bet borrow me your phone. May I call? What happened to your phone? No, no, I just want to have phone. Fresh phone. I don't want anything to scratch it. And I, I don't want to now come and lose it. So the reason we are given a brand new phone is to use it. Is that not so? So what is the end of salvation? What are we giving salvation for? So if you preach the message of Jesus and don't highlight what Jesus was about, there's the actual dimension of the gospel that the believer will never come into. Are you here now? I said to you, but still dealing with the scope of the message. Luke 4 and 43. Luke 4, 43. But he said to them, that's Jesus. I must preach the kingdom of God. I must preach what? To the other cities also. Look at this last statement carefully. Wait, I, I thought it was forgiveness of sin. That was soteria. For this purpose, I have been sent. I am a messenger for the kingdom of God. So let me say this ahead of myself to suck you in. Salvation is on the highway of the kingdom of God. Jesus says, I am the way. The way. The way is not the destination. The way to what? No one comes to the Father except by me. You know, I taught you how there are, there are things that you see or what Jesus did. There are things that what Jesus did, did. Yes, sir. When it says I'm the way, the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. And you go, salvation, instantly. If you, if you box yourself in that myopia, you will miss a lot of the nitty gritty of Jesus' message. No one comes to the Father as what? Said for this purpose was I sent. Luke 4.43. He sends his disciples to preach the same. 
Mark 16, 15. That portion of scripture that we're not very sure of, but we explained it on the assumption that it exists. Do you remember? In church consciousness? So we take verse 15. The two so-called great commission scriptures are Matthew 28 and Mark 16. John has his own, but John doesn't have time for plenty of details. <laughs> he just writes something, chapter 21, and leaves it there. If you want to speak, speak. If you don't want to speak, leave it. Seriously. All John says of the Great Commission is, as my father sent me, so have I sent you. Finish. <laughs> Very brief. But in Mark 16 and 15, it's on record that Jesus says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. What would this gospel be? What abiding house? The gospel of the kingdom of God. <laughs> Acts 8 and 25. Acts 8, 25. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Preaching the gospel. What gospel? Gospel of the kingdom. Acts 14, 6 and 7. They became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia and to the surrounding region, and they were preaching the gospel there. 21, verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Paul shows up then and starts to preach. Romans 1 and 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. In the gospel of his son. Jesus preaches the kingdom. The good news or the gospel of the kingdom of God. He says, for this purpose was I sent. And when, when it says later on, and as, as the writer of Hebrews is saying, that for this purpose he was made manifest, Right? That he might destroy the works of the devil. For this purpose was I sent. To preach the kingdom. Of God. It therefore follows. That the preaching of the gospel. Of the kingdom of God. Is the destruction of the works of the enemy. Is that not what he said in. in for this purpose. He was preaching this gospel. Look for 43 right. Put it, put, put it back up. But he said to them, I must preach the gospel of God to the other cities also because for this purpose I have been sent. In 1 John 3 and 8, 1 John 3 and 8, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil had sinned from the beginning. From the beginning. From the beginning. For, the <laughs> for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. It's not a multiplicity of purposes. Yes. In Luke 4.43 it says that I must preach the gospel to all the cities, the gospel of the kingdom of God because for this purpose was I sent. Then John comes and says that for this purpose the son of God was made manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. It therefore follows that the preaching of the good news of the kingdom is the destruction of the works of the devil who sinned from the beginning. So again, let me go ahead of myself. What did the sin of, death of, the, of, of, of the devil from the beginning destroy or interrupt? The kingdom of God. 
So when Jesus comes preaching the kingdom and reestablishing the kingdom, what's he destroying? The works of the devil. Who sinned this sin from the beginning? So the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom of God is directly proportional to the destruction of the works of the enemy. Establish the kingdom is the measure to which the enemy's work is destroyed. That's how light takes over darkness. That's what it's always been. It's been a clash of kingdoms. Are you here? Let's proceed. That's the gospel that Abraham heard. Galatians 3.8. In thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That's what God told Abraham. And he's not saying that in thy seed shall all the earth be forgiven. In thy seed everybody shall be made righteous. In thy seed everyone shall be justified. And God have access. In thy seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And what was that? The gospel. I dare add the full gospel. Because that's the gospel Abraham believed and received what? Righteousness. So when the guys of old saw Jesus or saw Christ, what did they see? Because at the time they saw him, his name was not yet given. In fact, in Isaiah's prophecy, he was called all kinds of names except Jesus Christ. Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. He was called Everlasting Father. And no name, no Jesus, no Christ. Doesn't appear anywhere in the Old Testament. Closest they came was Emmanuel. So what Jesus, did, did, wait, did they see Jesus? Oh, come on, think carefully. The guys that believed and died not having obtained the promise, did they see Jesus? Of course they did. By what name did they identify him? By what message did they identify him? By what system did they identify him? So yes, we are still learning the gospel. This gospel. For a very long time to come. This gospel. Somebody say this gospel. And because of these confusions, you have people teaching all kinds of things. Different gospels. Jesus preached a different gospel and his, his gospel now stopped. Then the disciples now taught their own. There's also... And stopped Paul now. Started teaching Christ. Paul didn't start teaching Christ. It wasn't Paul that started teaching Christ. People were teaching Christ when Paul was killing people for following Christ. We'll come to it. Paul introduced a different gospel from Jesus and his disciples. And so there's all these errors that now follow. Start to make distinctions between the gospel of Jesus. And the gospel of Paul because Paul calls it his gospel. And that's what we'll explore as we continue in series 2. What, what did Paul mean when he said my gospel? Was he insinuating a gospel that didn't exist before? When Paul said he was called to preach to the uncircumcised. What did he mean? Because Paul was not the first person to preach to the Gentiles. Peter was. In fact Peter was. Preaching to the Paul himself was preaching to the Jews when he got converted. Yes. It was out of frustration yes. for the Jews rejecting his message. That he now says, we shall now turn our sights to the Gentiles. Yes, so there are two misunderstandings that have to do with 
the gospel, understanding this gospel. The errors of understanding the message of the gospel. Are there many gospels? Is there one gospel? And those two misconceptions, major misconceptions, are one, misunderstanding of the concept of the kingdom of God. As a major culprit. Misunderstanding of the concept of the kingdom of God. And the second one is misunderstanding of Paul's assertion when he says, my gospel. Misunderstanding of the concept of the kingdom of God. Misunderstanding of the meaning of Paul's assertion when he says, my gospel. Number one, misunderstanding of the concept of the kingdom of God. If we misunderstand the kingdom of God, we will misunderstand God's will for redemption and his message of reconciliation. If you misunderstand the kingdom of God, you misunderstand God's will for redemption and his message of reconciliation. These are words that have stared us in the face for centuries. When someone is restored, what does that mean? They were in a place. They left. Something happened. Something began to be done to get him back to the place that he was in. So whether we like it or not, whether we feel good about it or not, every sinner, by Christian definition of sinner, was a son of God. That's why anybody not in the fold now, anybody in the world now, is called lost. Shebi is what you used to have. That you can lost. Again, pay attention to this concept as we proceed. You cannot lose what you didn't first have. Is that an agreeable principle? To lose something, you ought to have had it. And if you had it and lost it, when you, when you get it again, it's not when you're having it for the first time. Hence, it is a restoration. I haven't met someone before. May I crave your indulgence if you're here for the first time? I'm not going to call you up. But if you're here for the first time, just wave your hand at us. Right? Thank you very much, my darling. Have we met before? So at the end of the service, when I, met, when I meet you, please help me. Will we be reconciling? Why? Because we have never had a relationship. We have never consiled. Does that make sense? So when we meet her or any of the pastors meet her, it will be the first time we are meeting. Does that make sense? If after now she's probably going to serve or something, she goes away for three years or four years, the next time after five years I see her, I'll be like, it's so good to see you again. It's been so long. I'm glad life has brought us back together. That would be a reconciliation of some sort because we had a relationship that was truncated by something. Does that make sense? So something that you never had is not something that is being restored. But you can't understand the message of reconciliation if you don't understand the message of the kingdom of God. You will not understand his will for redemption in other words, what he intends to achieve by redemption, and you understand the message of reconciliation, you will know you have been reconciled, but you will understand why. Yeah. And it's not enough to know you have been reconciled to God. Yes, yes. It's not enough. Yes, 
you must understand to what end you have been reconciled. What did you fall from? That's why there's some of us that cannot think like ordinary people. And so other people will try to bog us down and hold us back down by ordinary thinking. But we know. We're too aware. So we must understand the kingdom of God. The word kingdom comes from the old Hebrew word mamlaka. Pay attention to that. It means sovereignty. It means sovereign as a uh, as an adverb. Right? Sovereign. It also means as an adjective. It also means as a, as a noun, as a place. The sovereign of someone. It means to rule. It means to dominate. In fact, in Genesis 1, when God made man and he said, bless them and said in the 26 and 27 and says, let them have dominion. The word dominion is the word mamlaka. Which is the word translated kingdom. Pay attention. God created man in his image. We'll come to that. Bless them and gave them the kingdom. Let them have mamlaka, dominion. Let them have reign. Let them have authority. Let them have dominion. A domain that you are giving to reign over. That's the word mamlaka. So have dominion. It says everywhere in this domain is under my dominion. I'm ruling over this. So when God gave them to have dominion over the earth, over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every creeping thing that moves over the, over the earth, what did God give man? The ability to rule over them. Yes? yes sir. Or the ability to exercise kingdom authority over the earth. Yes? Mamlaka, yes, Basilia in the Greek, same thing. Same thing. Dominion, sovereignty, rulership, power, government, with its culture, its values, its models, its morals, its lifestyle that reflects the wills and the desire of the person in charge. We all went through this in, in UTG. That's the word Basilia. That's where we get the word the Basilia Commission from. So the kingdom is God's way concerning life for all eternity. The kingdom is God's way concerning life for all eternity. The kingdom is God's way concerning life for all eternity. I said we'll come back to the fact that God made man, created man in his own image. In his own image. And we know what, sorry, who? The image of God is. Colossians 1.15, he's the image of the invisible God. Firstborn among many brethren. Hebrews 1.3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, that the light will shine upon them, the light of Christ, who is the image of God. Lest the light go on of the gospel of the glory of God, who, of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. We'll come back to that. The kingdom is God's way concerning life for all eternity. Do we hear that? Yes, Can we say that together? One to go. If there's life, if there's existence, it is by the kingdom. It is in the kingdom. It is through the kingdom. It is for the kingdom. 
it is to the kingdom. Remember, we talked about in Christ conscious believer, to be Christ conscious is to be aware of and therefore respond to the person of Jesus, the nature of Jesus, the message of Jesus, and the system, system of Jesus. The system of Jesus. The system of Jesus. The way of doing things of Jesus. The way of living of Jesus. The way of thinking of Jesus. That's why I taught you imitate. The way of giving of Jesus. The way of discerning of Jesus. The system of Jesus. A.K.A. The kingdom. Because God's kingdom is his way of life for life for all eternity. Are we here? And that kingdom is not earthly. So anyone not bound by the system of Jesus is living a carnal life. John 18, 33 to 36. Pilate entered the praetorium. This is at the trial of Jesus. Again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? <laughs> Next verse. Then Jesus answered. Look at this carefully. Answered Pilate, the man who had the authority to set him free. And he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants will fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now, my kingdom is not from here. So the kingdom of God is not earthly. It is an everlasting kingdom. Daniel chapter 7. Verse 27. Let the pages of the Old Testament begin to come alive. Daniel 7, 27. You see that. Then the kingdom, Mamlaka, and dominion, Mamlaka. (laughs) And the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people The saints of the most high. Now, his kingdom. Who is his here? It doesn't say that. No, stay with the the text. Let's start again. Stay with the text. Don't let your previous knowledge read into the scripture. Stay with the text. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people. The saints of the most high. His kingdom. Who is the his? The most high. God has not been mentioned in that text. Right? God has not been mentioned. Jesus has not been mentioned. Holy Spirit. So you must be careful when reading scripture. To let it come to you. Don't impose knowledge. Follow it contextually. His kingdom. Who is he here? The most high. Then I can ask you who is the most high. Then you can answer God the Father. Does that make sense? We established that the verse there says most high. Then you can investigate who is the most high. 
and then supply the obvious answer, God the Father. Make sense? But don't just presuppose that, oh, that he is God. No, the, the verse hasn't said that. So follow the verse. Okay, so now, his kingdom, the kingdom of the Most High, which he's giving to the people, us, the saints, is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So his kingdom is everlasting. Yes? It's a coming kingdom. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 1 to 3. Everlasting kingdom. Daniel 4, 1 to 3. Let's take a few more scriptures in Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar the king to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the most high God. See that now? Most high God. Has worked for me. Keep going. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. Listen, this is the, 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 the line you need to see. His kingdom is an... And his dominion is from generation to generation. Everlasting kingdom. Go back to chapter 7 and verse 13 and 14. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Everlasting kingdom. I was watching the night visions and behold, one like the son of man. This is Daniel. Talking of Christ. Behold, one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days. And they brought him there before him. 14. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion or his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. An everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom... The one which shall not be destroyed. Everlasting kingdom. Now see Mark 14. Verses 60 to 64. Mark 14, 60. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus saying. Do you answer nothing? So still at his trial. What is it this men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Because, and this is by the way, they knew that he was to come. They just did not reckon the method by which he would come. Some things I can't wait to get to in this series too. He came riding a donkey. That was a problem. That was a problem. In fact, the donkey he rode could not be ridden except with its mother. You know, religion has showed you, since you were born, that he was just on a donkey. He was two donkeys. The donkey and his mother. He has come again. Two donkeys. Two. Two. He was a colt and a foal. The colt and the colt's baby donkey and the donkey's mother. Because there's no way an adult would have ridden a baby donkey. The baby donkey would have been confused and all over the place except for the calming presence of its mother. And you wonder why two donkeys? Because scripture prophesied it. But you know we keep reading. Ah, I'm going to head on myself.
I was talking about the fact that they were expecting Jesus. But then the methods they add up. So, they, so they, they had suspicions. Could this be the Messiah? But no, there's a, no now. Because the, the guy they were expecting should be coming on a horse. Because horses are for battle, donkeys are for peace. And this guy was called the prince. Not, hold on, not the mighty man in battle. Jesus was not the mighty man in battle. They expected a war. Come and tear the place. Remove Romans. Set up your kingdom. Then we'll believe you are that Messiah that was written off. And they see somebody entry coming, a small donkey. With the mama escorting him. So this is the, this is the Messiah. Nah, to fear. To fear. Matthew 21. From verse 1. It has, it has been there in your Bible. <laughs> now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, look, look at this carefully, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Lose them and bring them to me. NLT, verse 2. Go into the village over there, he said. This is NLT. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its coat beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. Tip it in. As soon as you enter the village, you find a donkey tethered along with her young coat. Untie them both. Bring them to me. So how many donkeys? Big donkey, baby donkey. So that picture you have of one donkey, farm front, says, says, come. Go back to King James. Some people trust only King James. <laughs> Let's go back to Matthew 21. I love teaching God's word. Say unto them, village, over against you, and straight away ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Lose them and bring them unto me. Keep going. Verse 3. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them. And straight away, he that man that asks you will send them. Verse 4. All this was done that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Stop. Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just, righteous, and having salvation, lowly, humble, and riding upon an ass, upon a colt, the fall of an ass. It had to be two donkeys. Yes! Had to be. NLT. NLT. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and victorious. Yet, he is humble. Can I just say that? Riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. Verse 10. 
your mighty man in battle of Jesus. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel. And the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle. And your king will bring what? So anybody using Jesus to kill is the killer. Anybody killing in the name of Jesus? You are the mighty man in battle. Arise! Let your enemies be scattered. My friend, I will remove the war horses. I will remove the weapons and in their place. This is how you will know that the king I promised has come. He will bring peace. Hold on. Solomon, a type of... Remember? Because what what Solomon was known for was peace all around his domain. He fights one war. Man of war. Man of war. Man of war. He should have come on a horse. A stallion. He comes riding a baby donkey with the mom escorting the donkey because if you know anything about donkeys are very temperamental. They can be very easily flustered. So imagine riding a colt by itself. Why have you separated the colt from its mother? The colt is not going to have it. So the mother is there to accompany the colt. Jesus is riding on the colt, not on the mother donkey. But the mother donkey is present. Matthew 21 verse 4. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying, Tell the daughter of Zion. Cooking Zachariah now. Behold, your king is coming to you lowly, humble, sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Next verse. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. Keep going. They brought the donkey and the colt. And the colt. Laid their clothes on them. And set him on them. Them here will refer to the clothes. Because one man cannot ride two donkeys. Give me, let me see how um, TPT puts verse 7. They brought the donkey and her colt to him and placed their cloaks and prayer showers on the colt and Jesus rode on it. Okay? NLT. Let's see, when I study, I sit down and ask questions and wait for scripture to give me the answer. Because, I mean, it's obvious if they brought the two donkeys and put their clothes on the two donkeys and he rode on them or he sat on them. One guy, even horses, you can't sit on two animals. So what could this have meant? Then I start to study the original language and I found that that was actually referring to the fact that Jesus sat on the clothes of the people which were put on the donkeys but he sat obviously on one donkey. So NLT, they brought the donkey and they called to him and threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. Next verse. And a great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from trees and spread them on the road. Let's go. But the multitude who went before and those who followed cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna. That was already a problem. And this guy comes into town on a baby donkey. And goes straight to the temple and starts flogging people. Sir, you don't look like the king that we were expecting. Because instead of coming to defend us, you're coming to flog us in our territory. See, you are going to die. <laughs> it was only four days later they began to start crucifying. No, this, this is not the king. 
that I expect him. So you see, Israel's problem, again, I'm going to hide on myself. Israel's problem is not that do not know the gospel. Because if anybody was armed with messianic prophecies, it was Israel. There's no way they should have missed the manifestation of Jesus. But for what Nigerians call strong head. We know what he has prophesied. We, we know what we want. The same thing they cried until God gave them soul. Same thing. Same thing. He will take your daughters. He will take your land. He will pay time. Give us a king. Because that's what they're asking him. He said, are you the Christ? Because we know what the scriptures say of the Christ. But it cannot be you now. It can't be you. The guy was from Bethlehem in Judea. He went down to Galilee. He was called forth from Galilee. He was of the tribe of Joseph from his mother's side or the tribe of Joseph from his stepfather's side. Trace the mother all the way to Joseph, to Abraham. Trace the father, his stepfather Joseph, all the way up to David. And yet, even John, who paved the way for him, asked him, are you the one? Or should we, should we? Should we expect another? Because his coming did not fit the method. He come on a horse with chariots, you know? People proclaiming and shouting. <laughs> you see him and you ask, where's his entourage? Two donkeys. <laughs> Two donkeys. Kingdom of God is an everlasting kingdom. Psalm 8 verse 5 and 5 through to 8. For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion. That's the word Mamlaka again. Over the works of your hands, you have put all things under his feet. Pay attention. All sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the parts of the sea. Go back to verse 6. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Uh, hold on a second. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 5. Hebrews 2 and 5. For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels. Go on. But one testified in a certain place. That's the certain place we just read now. From Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. Verse 8. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection to him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. God gave him a kingdom. We have not seen it. But we know God gave him a kingdom. And we know the hymn being, talking, being talked about is the one whose kingdom is everlasting. Jesus. It was prophesied of him to Isaiah in chapter 9 and verse 7. Let's go there. Isaiah 9 7. Six unto us a child is born, unto a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, them shall be called, blah, blah, blah. Verse 7. See what he says. Of the increase of his government and peace, 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 there will be no end. There will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even... So it's an everlasting kingdom. God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Are we here? Ephesians 1, 20 through 22. It's a coming kingdom. It's not earthly. It's everlasting. It's coming. 
120, which he walked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, heavenly places or heavenlies because places is not there in the original language. Places will be in italics in some of your Bibles, right? That means he's not there. They just put places to qualify heavenlies. Far above principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. 22. And he put all things, you see there again, under his feet. And gave him to be head over all things to the church. It's coming. Somebody says it's coming. This is why when they got up, Holy Spirit. In John 6, Jesus feeds them bread. And fishes. And they had so much that at the end, there was over 20, 12 baskets full left. Oh, Father, may the eyes of the church be open to this. Do you know the... John 6. His kingdom is everlasting. His kingdom is not of this world. Let's go from verse 12. For, for, just to give me a little bit of a pretext. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, watch this carefully, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, Kai, this truly is the prophet who came into the world. Stay there. Because they ate bread and fish. Basically, they reduced or relegated divine prophecy to material things. That's why I've always told you, do not use that as a yardstick for determining what is of God. All the prophecies that went ahead of Jesus, Israelites did not see it and they didn't care about it. He fed them, this is a prophet. The next verse, he quickly went from being prophet, verse 15, to being king. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force, so, again, I'm going ahead of myself, but these guys, good news, that now were saying to Pilate, that he, he calls himself the king of the Jews. Who started it? Not just, not just did they want to crown him king by force. What is his crime? He's saying he's king of the Jews. Who started it? On account of food. It doesn't matter what God has said. It doesn't matter what plan God has. This guy fed us. You are king. And what happens today? Ah, that man is a mighty man of God. Why? You saw a miracle. A powerful man of God, and you have changed church like you changed dress because you saw a miracle. And have you noticed that people that chase miracles never get them, they keep seeing people getting them. Everybody will receive their healing, only you. You now get up and go another place. You are a more powerful man of God, and you are the one testifying. And advertising how powerful men of God are. Just going around being a witness. It doesn't matter what they are teaching. As long as God is walking there. 
Ah, this is in miracles. Simon the sorcerer was feared in his city yes, for the miracles he did. Yes, Not the miracles he staged. Yes. Your prophets are even staging their miracles. Yes. These guys were doing live miracles by familiar spirits. So because he fed them. Say, ah, no. That's our king. Doesn't matter what God has said. Doesn't matter what his plan for redemption is. It doesn't matter what his eternal will is. What, what he's purchasing and acting. We're not interested in purchasing and acting and execution. You give us bread. You can give us bread. You are the king. You don't want to be king. It doesn't matter. Be. We want you to be king. And he disappeared on them. Why? Because he had said his kingdom was out of this world. He didn't come. Can I say something now? Oh, okay. He, he didn't come to be king of the Jews. Because we see in Daniel that it says all the kingdoms and all the dominions will be given to him. Oh, not Israel. No, 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 just, not just Israel. All dominions. So if what he was doing would only earn him one dominion, he will pass. I'll, I'll, I'll pass. I'll pass. I'm, with all due respect, my assignment is bigger than this. It's all dominions, all all things under my feet, not Israel, not the Jews. Because you know what would have happened? Jesus would have been a parallel king. Stay with me. Because at the time of Jesus, Herod was in charge, and Caesar was king. Does that make sense? Caesar, the, the same way that the Commonwealth functions. Queen Elizabeth was head of Nigeria. Until independence. So they had a, in Nigeria they had governor generals. Right? Or administrators. Are you following me now? So you have, you have someone who is in charge and then you have a prime minister who is running stuff. Make sense? So like in the UK for instance, you don't vote your president or your prime minister. You vote into the parliament. And then the leader of a political party that has the majority in parliament... That parliamentarian now is called by the queen to form a government. Do you understand? So you have the Labour Party, for instance. You have, you know, the Liberal Democrats. You have a couple of parties like that in the UK. And each person votes their own senator, you know. But they're called member of parliament, MP, into parliament. So when you vote them into parliament, and then a party has, say, 173 parliamentarians or MPs, and another party has 100. The party that has more members of parliament, the queen then invites that party to form a government. Does that make sense? So automatically, the leader of that party, who, who is an MP, does that make sense? Becomes the prime minister of the country. Does that make sense? So it will have to be a senator who is the head of the party that becomes the prime minister. Just because that party is majority in, in parliament. Does that make sense? So it's the queen that invites that person to form a government. So parliament cannot sit until the queen goes there and opens parliament. And closes parliament. Do you understand the picture now? Now you won't see the queen in day-to-day -day activities of the UK. You'll see the prime minister running around. Does that make sense? So the picture that I've painted explains to you Caesar as emperor in Rome. In the time of Jesus. And Herod as prime minister in Israel. Make sense? So this Herod was a 
Greek, Greek or Roman. I explained that to you before. Representing Caesar as emperor or as king. Make sense? That's why they came to tempt Jesus and say, hey, what, hey, what do you even say about paying tax? If? They went to get him into trouble with Caesar. They're trying to set him up. He says, no, I don't have a problem with that. I'm not Caesar. Caesar is not me. So what belongs to Caesar? Give to Caesar. He was talking about tax. Not that you should do one for the kingdom. So pay tax. To, Caesar demands tax. He's king. Pay to him what is Caesar's. But then give to God what is God's. You get that picture? So if Jesus had agreed or set his sights to become king of the Jews, he would have become a parallel king which would have made him a rebel. Which would have disqualified him as prince of peace. Because the moment she, he says he's king, Rome will hear that there is now a king over Israel when their king is Caesar from Rome. Herod will be in trouble. Pilate, who was governor of Jerusalem, will be in trouble. There would have been a parallel king. King with only one dominion in disputed territory. It's a very baby, illegitimate king. So he said, no, no, no. My kingdom is not of this world. I'll pass. Until. So the kingdom of God is the priority of God. Can we say that together? One more time. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10. Matthew 6 and 10. Jesus, they came to Jesus and they said to Jesus, teach us to pray. Go back two verses earlier, verse 8. Teach us to pray. And he says, do not be like them, for your father knows the thing you have need of before you ask. Verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray. Pay attention to what people popularly call the Lord's Prayer. Pay attention carefully. Our Father in heaven, worship, hallowed be thy name, right? First request in that prayer. Parallel request in that prayer. Your will be done. Pay attention to the location of that parallel request on earth. How? The kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven, look at me carefully, has never been the goal. Heaven has only been the model. Heaven has never been the goal of God for man. Ever. Heaven has only been what? The model. Heaven has never been the mission in God's agenda for mankind. Earth is the goal. Heaven is the model. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done where? As like where? Where is the will being done? Because heaven's will is done. Nobody's dragging heaven's will with heaven. What was his will? Piping heaven to earth. That's why I said brace yourselves. Series 2 is very bloody. Very, very bloody. Heaven has never been the goal. Heaven has already been the model. We can't be wanting something to happen when we have not shown you how it happens. Kingdom is priority on God's mind. A kingdom come. 
Same thing he told them in Luke 11. A kingdom come. Luke 11 verse 2. You can start from verse 1 if you like. I said if you don't understand the kingdom of God, you will not understand his will for redemption and his message of reconciliation. Now we came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he seized or when he stopped that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. It will be done on earth as it is. God's will is not being done in heaven. Heaven is God's will. It's not a prayer point. When we make it to heaven, what will you do there? What will you do there? Heaven is perfectly God's will without you. God's will without you making there to do what that's why we are so distracted on earth so distracted we don't care about what's going on around us we want to make heaven I said the kingdom is a priority of God kingdom is God's driving purpose revelation eleven fifteen. the kingdom of God is God's driving purpose the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices where? In heaven. Where? In heaven. Okay, loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of which world? Which, which world? Okay, heaven was rejoicing. That's what? Have become the kingdoms. Heaven was rejoicing at the kingdom of this world. If finally the kingdom has come. Finally his will is now being done on this earth. As it is. Because it is this earth. The dominions of this earth. That are made subject to him. So kingdom is the driving force of God's mind. Kingdom. Somebody say kingdom. This was why God called out Israel in the first place. As a type of the church. Remember that? Exodus 19 and 6. I told you it was because Israel was already stubborn that the Levites were chosen out to become priests. Otherwise, all of Israel were called out as priests. Exodus 19 and 6. See what God tells Israel. You shall be to me a priest. Right. First thing he tells Israel. You shall be to me a kingdom. A priest, a holy nation. First Peter 2 and 9. For you are a chosen generation. See that. A royal priesthood. Royal kings. Priesthood, priests. He tells Israel, you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Peter now repeats that you who are saved now. Are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, or kings and priests. And a holy nation. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And it's sad that we quote this verse to sing because it says call forth to proclaim the praises. And I sat down and I asked the scriptures question. Him, the scriptures. I said, did you call us out to sing? You mean all this thing you did? You said that we would sing praises. No, no, it doesn't add up. 
He just gathered us to sing. You know, praises. You know what I mean, praises. And I began to investigate and realize that this word praises is not even a word that refers to anything we know praise to be. Aretes. First of all, I looked at proclaim and it's a word exangelo. Exangelo. Exang. E-X-A-N-G-E-L-L-O. Exangelo. E-X-A-N-G-E-L-L-O. Exangelo. It's a word proclaim. And it, it means to make loud or to put on display. It's not necessarily vocal as in verbal. Make sense? It's similar to evangelio, which means to publish or proclaim the good news. Exangelo, to, to, to make loud, to put on display, to showcase, right? Praises is the word aretes, and it means the good standing or uprightness or righteousness of a person as always referred to God. And it's the only time that word appears in the New Testament. Aretes, A-R-E-T-E-S. So when, Paul was, when Peter was saying that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you, he was essentially saying that the reason why he made you his own special people and the kingdom of kings and priests and all that is that you will put on display his righteousness and his goodness and his virtue. And that makes more sense doctrinally than to say that he did all this that he can gather and sing him praises. That you will display his righteousness, his goodness and his virtue. That's why he leads us in triumph and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Royal priesthood, kings and priests, kingdom. All through his mind. Revelation 1 and 6. Are you there? Revelation 1 and 6. And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. He has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. 5 and 10. Revelation 5 and 10. Is this helping anybody? And have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign where, please? Please help me make this very loud. We shall reign where? So from the beginning, dominion, kingdom has been on God's mind. Man was created and introduced into a kingdom system. A system that will bring or end up being the kingdom of God in the earth. Man was created and introduced into a system. A system that will end up being the kingdom of God where? Man was created and introduced into a kingdom system. A system that will end up being the kingdom of God in the earth. God, because God always intended to rule in the earth through us. To establish his kingdom and, his, and its culture. Kingdom cultured. God always intended to rule in the earth through us to establish his kingdom and its culture. Part of the misunderstanding, therefore, about the concept of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is this Christian grace. I speak with absolute reference for the Lord's body. I discern the Lord's body, I'm sure you know. So I'm not saying what I'm saying lightly. I said all that to say now, therefore, without any prejudice, that part of the major misconceptions about understanding the kingdom of God is the Christian craze, worldwide Christian craze, about making heaven. There's a worldwide Christian frenzy across denominations 
but people are engrossed with the craze of making heaven. At this point, I'm wondering if I should stop here or if I should start teaching. Because if you were with me an hour ago, I asked the beautiful lady there a question. Say, I've never met you before. So when we meet, if we meet, we will not be reconciling and be calling her my long lost sister because we have never met. Make sense? I've never met. We can't say we are reconnecting anything, we're just meeting. We never had anything. I said the greatest misconception of the kingdom of God is the grace to make heaven. What happened to man is generally known, and we dealt with this in series one, as the fall of man. That means if man fell, man was standing or man was at a place before he fell to another place from that place. And if God's plan is restorative, it means that God's plan is to take man back to where he fell. That means God's obligation in his redemptive plan in the gospel is to restore you to where you fell. God's plan is to give you back what you lost. God's plan is to reconnect you to where you disconnected. Does that make sense? Are you sure? Question. What did man fall from? Because God's obligation to you is what you lost. The salvation plan, hear me carefully, is not creating anything new. The salvation plan is a restorative work. Why will Paul say you who were once annihilated in the deadness of your flesh, have he? It is from your falling state that you are becoming a new creation. Fallen state. Who you are in Christ is new to the old man that you were in your deadness. Because you were dead, you were giving life. New life. That's the new creation. Not as though it is a work that God is doing all over again. He's restoring. Are you together? So what did man lose? What did man lose? The answer to that is, where was man when he fell? Heaven or earth? So what did man lose when he fell? Heaven or earth? So what is God restoring to man when he's saved? Heaven or earth? Have you followed the train of thought according to the scriptures so far? Are you sure? Was the garden of Eden in heaven or on earth? When God gave man dominion in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, did God give man dominion over heaven? If God is restoring, therefore, what is he ultimately restoring to man? So where in the scriptures does God promise man heaven? 
You can't say my father's house, there are many mansions, because I've already explained what that is. Jesus was going to the cross to die. A house cannot have mansions. Matthew 5 and 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, hear this carefully. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. You will explain shortly what that means. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be. We all quote this. Please see the next one. Blessed are the meek, for. Inherit where? Yeah. Psalm 115 verse 16. Psalm 115 verse 16. The heavens, even the heavens are the Lord's. But the earth. You know, I've asked questions that people that argue for religion cannot answer. If heaven is temporal, why is it not permanent? Why will you now go to heaven and come back to earth? Listen to your Bible. Before you start to argue, sit down and be taught or reason with the scriptures. If heaven is temporal, why is it not permanent? Why is heaven as it is now not everlasting? Revelation 20, 13, 2013, right into chapter 21. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades... That's hell. In King James, King James will say hell. Again, I've explained this to you. Death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. So hell is not the lake of fire. Hell was cast into the lake of fire. Put King James. Put King James. KJV. Let him see it. See how clear there? Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. There is death. There is Hades or hell or Sheol in the Greek. And there is the lake of fire. So hell itself is judged at the end. And there is something greater than hell that consumes hell. Consumes hell, eats hell up. And this is called the second death, when death dies. This is the second death, and anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire, not hell. Whose name was not found in Christ, along with hell, suffered the same fate. Yes, sir. along with hell nobody gets to hell as in a place of fire and torment the person in hell go to the lake of fire 21 and 1 look at this 21 and 1 and I saw a new heaven somebody say a new heaven and a new for the first heaven and the first earth So where are you and God when that first heaven are passing away that you tried so hard to make? You fought and fought. Run this race. Run this race. Reach heaven. They have not even finished understanding your mansion in heaven. They blow over this heaven as a smile. Imagine you're not trying to rush out of a heavenly mansion, grabbing something. 
Because you have just barely arrived. Time up. Let's vacate heaven. This heaven that we came to is going to pass away. <laughs> you now start hashtag save heaven. Pray for heaven. Heaven, our eternal home. Save our heaven. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth passed away along with the lake of fire. Because if heaven and earth passed away, the lake of fire cannot survive. If heaven and earth pass away, along with them go the lake of fire. Which contained those not in the book of life, contained death, contained hell. Because there cannot, there cannot be the culmination of all things with fire burning somewhere. Then the kingdoms have not become the kingdom. Fire is burning, eternity. The Bible never teaches that. The Bible never teaches eternal heaven or eternal hell. Yes, sir. Never. Yes, sir. Because at the end, what does it say? And again, I'm going ahead of myself. Let me just be glad the kingdom of God is among men. The tabernacle of God is with men. God is, God's own intention was not to capture you to a place. Is to make you the place with him. Oh, is heaven a place right now? Absolutely. There is a place. There is a place. There's a place called heaven. There's a place. But there is a system that supersedes the place. Such that the place can pass away. And the system remains. And God's interest for the believer is not the place. Is the system. God created the garden, earth, as a colony of heaven. It'll be good for you sometimes to watch science fiction movies. Give you an idea. I just finished watching one. This guy's earth is falling apart and then they formed this. I can't remember the name of the planet. Now they formed this place, Utopia. Where everything is perfect. If you get in there, you get healed in seconds, and you know, and, and then a ship leaves Earth to go there, and then they run into a meteor shower or whatever, they end up on different planets and just trying to survive until they make their way to that final destination. And so they live in colonies. As part of the gospel, we talked about colonization for his kingdom. How do you take over? You send a few people with a culture, let them expand. Why are we wearing suits? A few guys landed wearing suits. Made it cool to wear suits. Why are we using cutlery? Some guys landed, came off their ships, came with knives and forks. He says, you don't have to use your hand. Hands was perfect for us. A few white guys stepped on our continent with a culture. Are you following me? Culture. 
The whole madness about a man shall not wear what pertains to a woman. The woman shall not wear what pertains to a man. In the same chapter, in Deuteronomy 22, in the same chapter, it says, you, nobody shall look up his father's skirt. So if scripture was saying, um, um, skirt is for man, a woman, and why in the same chapter will he say, don't look at your father's skirt? What's your father doing wearing his skirt? Until you understand that this was cultural to Israel. Deuteronomy 22. Deuteronomy 22 and 5. A woman shall not wear any to a man. That's all he says. Nor shall a man put on a woman's garments for all who do so are an abomination to the Lord. Now, of course, this doesn't even hold water because the law has been fulfilled. But just go further down the same chapter. Go down all the way to verse 30. A man shall not take his father's wife. Shall not take his father's wife. Nor offer his father's bed. Or look up his father's skirt. That's what other um, King James. This is New King James, right? Give me King James. A man shall not take his father's wife. Nor discover his father's skirt. Psalm 133 verse 1 and 2. I need King James. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Verse 2. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard. Even Aaron's beard that went down to the... So for the Bible, the Bible says that for women is scared. Free yourself for some things. So why do we get into some of the things we got into? Somebody landed on our shores with culture. So they bring stuff and they permeate, stay with me carefully, they permeate with their culture. You ask us now, Federal Republic of Nigeria, what's your official language? English. The white man's language. Why? Somebody was sent to colonize and he succeeded if you remember in series 1 I told you that there is only one legitimate colonial master the most high what did he do with the garden of Eden he created a colony and put the system of the colony in the man he created. That's what it means for man to be created in the image of God. The image of God is Christ. As what? System. You don't look like Christ because Christ has small nose like you. No man has seen him. So in the image of God doesn't mean that you, you know, if, if you're in the image of God because your nose is like, like God's nose. And your nose is already different from Victory's nose. And Victory's nose is different from Shalom's nose. So how many noses? So the image of God is Christ. Christ as what? Christ as attributes. Communicable attributes. Remember that? Attributes of God in Christ that you are allowed and wired to share. To partake in. And that is the system of the kingdom. So Jesus did not preach Christ. 
Jesus preached the kingdom. When they are preaching Christ, what are they preaching invariably? The kingdom. So did Jesus preach himself? Yes or no? So did he preach himself without calling his name? Eden was a colony. Made the first man and woman. Put them in the colony. Armed them with the culture. Taught them the gospel. They just did not accept it. Because what Adam and Eve were given in the garden was the faith of God. The conviction of God concerning himself and his plan for creation. That's the gospel. By grace are you saved how? Through what? Faith. And that faith, not of yourself. It is there. Give. So whose faith is it? Galatians 2.20 I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not the life I live in the flesh. I live not by faith. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. The faith of the Son of God. The faith of the Son of God. If an unbeliever is required to have faith to believe, then the unbeliever does not need to believe. If an unbeliever can have faith, then the unbeliever doesn't need Jesus. Because the unbeliever can already have faith. The unbeliever can generate faith. Why do you need Jesus? So for the unbeliever to receive Jesus, Jesus must give him his own self-generated faith. Because a dead man cannot produce faith. How can you tell somebody who is dead in trespasses to have faith? Where should he have it from? So God was the first colonial master. Eden was colony. Put people there with the culture. Spread the culture. So the idea was that as everyone was born, they were born into right standing with God as a culture. And here's one thing that we miss about what man would have enjoyed in the Garden of Eden if they had not fallen. Immortality. Man would have been instant, the way he was instantly righteous is the way he would have been instantly immortal. Because what's the plan of God? Man inheriting the earth. So man without the fall would have needed to go nowhere. Man would have had no other aspiration other than to subdue and dominate or make kingdom out of the earth. Man would have had no other ambition, no other purpose. Because God created man and put him where he wanted man to be. God created man. Why did God, when God created man, why did God not just put him straight in heaven? But God's intention for the location of man was earth. So he put him there. Now give birth to people. Expand this colony. Let it expand with you. Heavens, don't worry about that. It's the Lord heavens. Earth, you take it over. Look at heaven. Do earth. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's why we have heaven. Look at heaven. Do earth. And that's why I created you in the image of God. In my image and my likeness. So you can have me and know me. And then just to give you more tangibility, every cool of the day, I'll come and fellowship with you. So there's always, you are guaranteed a constant supply of heaven. Does that make sense? Because God's presence is the atmosphere of heaven. 
Does that make sense? That's why the song we sing, your presence is heaven to me. Make sense now? God's presence is the atmosphere of heaven. So, man being in God's image was man in or as Christ, who is the express image of God. Make sense? And if we have the spirit of God, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we know the mind of God. Make sense? If man was created as Christ, who is the image of God, it means man was created with the ability to perceive everything of the God kind. Yes, yes, sir. That's why even when man fell, he could still hear God. Yes. It was because he could hear God that he went and hid. Yes. Which is ironic. So man was created with the ability to discern God. And then God coming personally to fellowship with man ensured that man had a steady supply of heaven on earth. Does that make sense? Yes, Study supply. Are you here? Yes, sir. So now God comes to the garden to see man from heaven. He comes with the supplies of heaven. So because God communed with man every day, man received of heaven every day. Are we here? And that's exactly what happens in colonization. In the TV series, there was this guy who was a, um, what do you call them there? Space pilot, space shuttle thingies. Yeah, of the spacecraft. Yeah, it was a small spacecraft. This guy was a smuggler of earth items, period. Smuggler of earth items, tobacco, things that were banned in this place that had moved there in the new colony. He was specialized in bringing tobacco. He even brought a live chicken. The guy was, he was a smuggler. Why? There had to, in his opinion, be a link between earth and this place. So he was that link, supplying earth things to this colony. Does that make sense now? So whenever he showed up, there are certain people that know that he's a smuggler that are expecting deliveries of some earth things. Oh, if you see how the, the, the guy brought Oreos, the way these guys were, oh, oh, they saved the Oreos for special occasions. Because you can't just walk into Value Mart and buy it. You have to go six million miles to earth to get Oreos. So Oreos in that colony was big deal. Chocolate was big deal. Their soldiers would eat like eat a quarter of a bar of chocolate and that's all the energy they need for that day. Because it's, you can't, it's not, Jumia is not going to supply it. So each time the father came, what came along? Heaven's supply. So you just keep expanding. Leave the connection with heaven to me. I am the connection. I am the link. Just, just, just span. Give birth to children. Take over the earth. I'm that link. What makes heaven heaven? It's not me. I'm here with you every day. So what are you going to heaven to do when I'm coming to you? Every day. Genesis 3. God never created, listen to me carefully. God never created man to look for him. God never created man to look for him. It's a fallen man that is in, in his futile attempt to search for God, starts to look for him and starts to cry and be desperate. The son was trying to cry, the father shut him up. 
God, I repeat, God never created man to look for him. God created man and before man could understand what his name was, yes. the creator was there. Yes. Always. Yes. Always. So God never created man to aspire to go to a place. The person and the system of the place which was always with him. So you must look at yourself in two lights. In the light of the fallen man and in the light of the restored man. Now the, the restored man, where was he restored to? What he lost. What did he lose? His place on earth. Whoever's name is not found in the book of life and is cast into the lake of fire is unfortunate because that person when man let me, let, me, let me rephrase when man fell what did man lose? He lost earth. Would you say he lost heaven? Why not? But he, his earth Sojourn, his stay on the earth, his dominion on the earth was as sponsored by heaven. Was as sponsored by God's presence with man as a result of man being created in his image. God could not but come to man. Because God was coming to have interface with God in man as man. God creating man in his image was God creating man as himself. Does that make sense? He has now become one of us. He eats this tree of life in this state. He'll be perpetual in his immortality like us, unredeemable. So man loses earth, his dominion. He loses heaven not as a location because he never had heaven as a location. But as a connection, as a system on earth. Are you here? So he loses his domain. His domain was earth. He never lost heaven because his domain was never heaven. Are you here now? Lord Lugard will never give account of London. In the period that he was governor general in Nigeria. So if the bird flu broke out in London and London burnt and Westminster Abbey burnt in that period. In the early 20th century. He would not have ever been called back from here. From Lokoja, from Lagos, from all the places he was to come and give account of what happened in London. He was never put in charge of London. Are we here? He's never put in charge of London. So man was never given heaven. Can you see that so far from scripture? Man was on earth. Where was the guy of Eden? In heaven or on earth? Are you sure? That earth might be what? A colony of heaven. On earth. The kingdom was supposed to come where? On earth as it is. So man loses earth as his location. Earth as his inheritance because the earth was given the children of men. So earth now starts to work against man because man no longer has dominion over it. Hence thorns and thistles. Hence animals now don't respect you anymore. <laughs> Once they looked at you and saw their boss now they look at you and see their lunch. 
this, this, this is where we fell to. Because we lost our mamlaka. We lost our dominion. Sicknesses, diseases, illnesses, misfortune. Hardships. Come from losing our territory here, 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 here. Supply was to come to you here. <laughs> Do you understand? You had a supply line here. The father himself, El Shaddai himself. This, where man was, was not a territory for angels. Do you, do you understand it? God was coming himself. Oh, messenger here. So my heart bleeds. This time I say, behold, don't move. There are angels here. And now we have to warn humans by a sign on the gate that says, beware of dogs. And you are trying to make heaven. Heaven was never in your charge. God gave man of. God didn't even put man to have dominion over man. He didn't. Man was not given dominion over another man. Man lost control that was transferred to him. Are you here? God did not give man dominion over heaven. Man never had heaven in his control. So he couldn't have lost heaven for God to be now wanting to restore him to heaven. So I asked you again, you want to make heaven? To go and do what there? Yes, go and sing praises. So God did not promise man heaven as a physical location. Which brings into focus as I try to find where to attempt to begin to round up part one. How can you lose what you never had? The heavens are the Lord's heavens. Yes. There was one place God intended to share with man. One place and it was not heaven. That's why nobody's there now. Only the sun. And the sun... Look at this, Kev. The sun did not disappear and appear there. The sun was taken up. Yes. Was taken up in his glorified body. Yes. First fruit. Yes. First Corinthians says, first him, then us. Yes. Not us, one after the other. Yes. Us as one complete whole. Yes. <laughs> All of us, one complete whole. All of us, the entire body. The leg will not enter and wait for the hand. The hand will not enter and wait for it. It means, no. So, so the body of Christ is just going part by part in heaven. So now the hand has gotten to heaven. But the legs and the other arm and the fingers are still on earth. Waiting to die in 80 years time. No, the entire body is going or the body is not going. If man never had or was promised heaven. When he was created in the image of heaven the person he was not promised heaven the place but he was created in the image of heaven the person for he has made us this is things I've taught you I'm just, put, yes. I'm just pulling it together yes. Yes. he made us Ephesians 2 and 6 to sit together with him 
with Christ. We are sat together with Christ, with him, in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. So we are sat with him together. In the heavenlies which are in Christ Jesus. So who is the host of the heavenlies? Christ Jesus. That's why the heaven, the place, can pass away. Because heaven, the place, is in heaven, the person. So all Jesus, in whom Colossians 1 says, all things consist or hold together. All he needs to do for that first heaven to pass away is to stop thinking about it or switch off his faith about it. Because that heavenly is in Christ. And we are where? In Christ. So we can be in Christ and he extracts heaven and perishes it and we are safe in Christ. <laughs> are you guys getting this? And that heaven that is in him because all things hold together in him. As you yourselves have said, in him we live, in him we move, in him we have our being. So we are in him. Heaven is in him. Heaven is a faculty of God in Christ. Does that make sense? So we can be in Christ and heaven passes away. Earth passes away or our bonds with fire. But our organ is top. He's alright. And we in him are alright in him outside of that heaven that has passed away. Does that make sense? So there's heaven the place and there's heaven the person. Who now gives us heaven the system to colonize where? Earth. Are you getting this? We lost earth. We lost the kingdom of God on earth. We lost the kingdom of God as earth. So what happened? I will continue next week. What happened? A colony was lost. Eden was polluted, right? So we can't extend Eden as heaven's agenda for earth anymore. Mission aborted. So what do we do to stop this thing from spreading? Shut down this colony. Because if these guys eat this tree like this, mankind is doomed for eternity. So guard the tree of life until. So we lost earth. I wrote here, man from heaven lost earth. Because God made man. Man came out of God. We lost earth. Because it was a colony, right? Our citizenship is in heaven. So heaven has never been the goal of God for man. Heaven was never the mission of God for man. Heaven has never been the goal of God for man. Because heaven was never the mission of God for man. 
What was man's marching orders? Genesis 1.27. Don't look at me funny. Genesis 1.27. 26. Go to 26 first. God says, let them be man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth. Over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God's agenda for creating man was giving him dominion over the earth. 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 That's why the salvation story ends where? On the earth. Heaven is a feature in the salvation story. Yeah, heaven is a bus stop, sorting area. Salvation story ends where? On the earth. Heaven is a sorting zone, holding facility. Briefly. Heaven has never been the goal of God for man because heaven was never the mission of God for man. Heaven was represented on earth by man being in God's image. Do you get that? Heaven was represented on earth by man being in God's image and thus enjoying fellowship with him in the garden and releasing that heaven fragrance on the earth. When man fell and messed up his heaven connection, he lost earth. God's kingdom on earth, God's original intention, a.k.a. Christ. See how we came back here? When man fell and messed up his heaven connection as an, in the image of God, right? What did he lose? Earth, right? The kingdom of God on earth. God's original intention, a.k.a. Christ. Who is the system of the kingdom of God? Because when God created man in his image, who did God consult to create man? Christ. So man was created as Christ and given Christ dominion on the earth. Because the kingdom forever was promised to who? Christ. So by God creating a colony on earth, what was God giving man the opportunity to do? Partner with Christ in ruling the earth. Because we are a kingdom of kings. I mean, who is a king with no domain? Who is a king without a kingdom? So he created us what? Kings and priests. He told Israel they were kings and priests. We who are saved now and our sins are forgiven are called what? Kings and priests. So what was the plan all along? Dominion. With Christ. In Christ, who is the kingdom of heaven. We'll see that in, maybe next week. In Luke 21, they came and asked, they came and asked him and said, Where, when would you restore the kingdom to us? And he looked at them after a few things. He said to them, he said, you don't perceive that the kingdom is among you. The kingdom is within you. Other translations say within you. And he wasn't saying the kingdom was inside them because they were not yet saved. Yes. So theologians say that he meant that the kingdom was inside them. Kingdom could not have been inside them because he had not yet died to restore them to the kingdom that they lost. But he was telling them as I'm talking to you now, among you the kingdom is standing. He just fell short of saying, I am the kingdom, can't you see? But if he had said it that day, that's the day they would have killed him. So he says it in such a way that keeps them trying to guess what exactly did he mean when he said that before you blink, you don't enter the better name. By the time you understand what he meant, he's far gone. 
But it says the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is with you. In other words, the kingdom of God has come. And then it cannot be among you or within you. Cannot be referring to being inside them because he had not yet died to save their sins. And you see next week or in the next part, maybe part two or three, you see how sin was just the cause. Jesus doesn't hammer on sin because he knew he came to forgive sin. He hammers on the effect of what the forgiveness of sin will bring the believer into. The kingdom. He never made a big deal of sin. Ever. 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 The woman comes and pours expensive oil on him and washes his feet with the hair and all that. And then they are there looking at her funny. And he looks at the woman and he says, woman, your sins are forgiven you. And they now asked him, who is this that has power to forgive sin? He hadn't gone to the cross and he was distributing forgiveness of sin willy-nilly. The guy that was brought in by his four friends. to him and said, you know, your sins are forgiven. And he began to make noise. And he says, which one was easier? To say, rise up, take up your bed and walk. See how long it is. Your sins are forgiven. Which, because the problem is your sins. Okay, just so that you'll be satisfied. Rise up. Take up your bed. She wants amplified version. Rise up. Take up your bed and walk. Even when he was dying. Today. I'm saying to you today. You'll be with me in paradise. Sin was not a factor in the message of Jesus because he knew what he came to do will sort out sin and restore the kingdom. Are you here? So God's intention was the kingdom. Christ is the kingdom. That's why he said to them, the kingdom of God is among you. It's within you. When Peter said, you are the son, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and he said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father is in heaven. What was the next thing Jesus said to him? Therefore, I give to you the keys to the because he's in charge of it. He is it. He is the kingdom. I give you the keys. If we don't understand the kingdom of God, nothing about the salvation plan will make any sense. And that's why you behave bickering and fighting with carnality, mere things. It's babies that fight with strife, carnality, death, you know, malice, backbiting. These are things that Paul says should not be heard among you because you know who you are. You, why do you think that you would judge angels if, that, if not that you are kings? Right? He tells the Corinthian church. He said, do you not know that you would judge angels? Don't let your physical body deceive you. Don't let your physical body limit your salvation to mortality. The agenda of God is grand. Are you hearing me? The agenda of God for salvation to give to mankind is grand. It's grand. The apostles teach and point to Christ. So that as you see Christ, you will see the message of Christ. As you see him, you see the system of God. You see the nature of God. You see the person of God. You see the message of God. You see Christ. So don't trivialize your salvation. That's what makes the gospel such far-reaching good news. Far. You You haven't stretched. You haven't discovered the length and breadth of it. Such good news. Don't, don't stay at the elementary. Don't stay there. Choose to come up higher. Choose to come up higher. The restoration plan of God is major. It's major. It's major. What we're saved unto is major. You can't be saved and get the fullness of it and still operate less than the first Adam. 
Nah. Nah. So we'll pick it up next week. We'll pick up what the fall of man from the kingdom system of God introduced. Sin. And sin bringing about death. Death as what? The alienation or separation from the heaven system. Heaven connection. Heaven supply. And the introduction of our worst nightmare. Mortality. That's death. Not physical death. Physical death is a minor offshoot. Of the four. In, in that thou eatest it, thou shalt die. That's, tell that to a man who lived 900 years after falling. In the day you eat it, you will die. In the day he ate it, he lived 900 more years. So dying could not have meant physical death. Because if we were, if we were created to die, by 900 you'd be like, I've had enough. <laughs> what am I doing here? So death was not... Physical in that sense. Introduced mortality, which brought about physical death. is the loss of mortality that introduced physical death. Does that, does that make sense? Because man could no longer live forever as was intended in that colony. He, mortality was introduced. And what happens to mortals? They die. So physical death was not a consequence of the fall. Physical death was a consequence of the losing of immortality. Or physical death was a consequence of the introduction of mortality. Do you understand what I'm saying? Man is not dying physically because man fell. Man is dying physically because he lost his ability to live forever when he fell. Make sense? Why would he be dying? What did he lose? when he, what, what was the life he, he had that he lost? His heaven connection. His spirit connection. His supply. Takes you back to series one. The fall of man. The six things man lost. His citizenship. His immortality. His supply. I'm hammering on supply. His supply. And when your supply dries up. Dude. You're going to dry up. You're going to dry up. So when Jesus comes. Jesus' idea or God's plan through Jesus is to start to fix what man lost by removing what cost man to lose it. <laughs> so we're dealing with sin to the measure that sin is the problem that caused you to lose what you had. Does that make sense? So we start to deal with sin. Because when man rebelled against the faith of God, and we'll look at that in the next teaching, when man began to rebel, what did he rebel against? The faith of God. The faith of God was, don't do this. If you do this, this will happen to you. So when man goes against the faith of God, he, fell, he falls. And that fall introduces sin as an act, which passes down sin as a nature. And this sin is now an enemy of God because sin has thwarted, as it were, God's plan to perpetuate his kingdom on the earth as it is in heaven. Messing up this colony of heaven that is here on the earth. So if we're going to restore man to the kingdom, we're going to have to deal with this sin nature. So that by removing sin, man can be restored to what he lost when he fell. So what is on God's mind? Redemption. Do you understand redemption now? Yes, Buy back. Yes, Re return you to that place yes. that you lost. Yes. And to do that, we have to deal with what got you there. Yes. 
What got you there? Sin. Let's deal with sin. Now that sin is not the issue, can we stop talking about sin and start talking about the fact that you should be heading back to a place that you lost because you sinned, that you should now get back to because sin has now been dealt with? Then we're understanding the gospel. That's when we start understanding the gospel. Or else we get trapped in the euphoria of the forgiveness of sin and not understand what the forgiveness of sin should facilitate. And so we keep living as babies. We keep living as men. men. Oh, we are not men. men. Yes. Hold your neighbors and tell them we're not men. men. Yes. No, say it with conviction and great joy. We're not men. men. Yes. No, no. So that's how this good news not fully understood can distract you. <laughs> Did you hear what I just said? The good news not fully understood. You'll be trapped at elementary levels of forgiveness of sins. What did it facilitate? Go beyond the fact that your sins are forgiven. Celebrate and be thankful for it and start to enter what it restored you to. Then you start to see the kingdom manifest in the earth in your sphere of influence. Because until the kingdom is coming out of you, the gospel did not enter into you. Until the kingdom is coming out of you, the gospel did not get into you. The proof of the gospel entering you is the kingdom coming out of you. Then business transactions will, trans will, will totally change. Re relationship transactions will change. God transactions will change because men begin to exhort the kingdom. Gospel into you is kingdom out of you. Father, we thank you for your word. Why not help me, help me give and praise yourself. There's, there's a stirring that the gospel is working in us. The end of which is to bring the kingdom out of us. Heaven is calling for you to come high. See everything from a new point of view. To see that you're seated with Jesus in heavenly places. One, five. From his perspective, all things are made new. We are walking in favor and grace. Just like heaven. Just like heaven on earth. Cause we're
Heaven where? Revelation 21. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked to me, saying, Come and I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates, and names are written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. Three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were written the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure out its city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square, its length as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed. 12,000 furlongs is length, breadth, and height are equal. He measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man. I will teach on this someday. I will skip right through to verse 22. But I saw no temple in it. For the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need for the sun or of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of the Lord illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. 24. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, the light of that city. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And there shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. But there shall be no means, there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And goes on and on, and Revelation ends with everything about the earth's chaos becoming perfected at the end of the ages when his kingdom comes to exist on the earth. So as believers, we have the privilege to leave heaven, L-I-V heaven now, here. Here. You're living according to heaven's kingdom system now. Because you're a colony. Does that make sense? So you can't live like the systems of this world. You live above it. Because we're not men, men. We're not men, men. We're not men, men. Say it again. We're not men, men. Mm -hmm. I saw a question here that was sent in. 
This brings to mind we will soon be brought back, still be brought back in the flesh body. The question is, will we still be in the flesh like we are now? Recognizing the exact same bodies we are in now? Just thinking, because you, you taught us that the only legal tender any spirit needs to operate in the earth is through a body. This is random thoughts, he says. Brilliant questions. But because we're going back to immortality, we'll have bodies that cannot decay. Glorified bodies. Because again, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So God made man, then he formed man, and put the man he made into the man he formed. The man that was formed was formed from the dust of the earth. The man that was made was made from the substance of God. So man originally is a substance of God. Does that make sense? Man is a substance of God. That's why the Bible says that when a man dies, his soul returns to God, his maker. Does that make sense? So 1 Corinthians 15, we talked about this during church consciousness. Right? 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. Give us tippy-tippy tippy, maybe. I might put it clearer. And that's how it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in decay, but will be raised in immortality. You see that? It is sown, in quote, in humiliation, but will be raised in glorification. Keep going. It is sown in weakness, but will be raised in power. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. And so it is written. The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam, Christ, became the life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual didn't come first. The natural precedes the spiritual. That's God's ultimate plan. So God's ultimate plan is that by the time all we lost is restored, we're better off than when we first began. Keep going. The first man was from the dust of the earth. The second man is the Lord Jehovah from the realm of heaven. Keep going. The first one made from dust has a race of people just like him who are also made from dust. The one sent from heaven has a race of heavenly people who are just like him. Once we carried the likeness of the man of dust, but now let us carry the likeness of the man of heaven. Now I tell you this, my brothers and sisters, flesh and blood are not able to inherit God's kingdom realm and neither will that which is decaying be able to inherit what is incorruptible. Listen, and I will tell you a divine mystery. Not all of us will die, but we all will be transformed. It will happen in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye. For when the last trumpet is sounded, the dead will come back to life. We will be indestructible and we will be transformed. For we will discard our mortal clothes and slip into a body that is imperishable. Not this body. What is mortal now, see that clearly, will be exchanged for immortality. So then, that which is mortal puts on immortality and what now decays is exchanged for what will never decay. Then the scripture will be fulfilled which says, death is swallowed up by a triumphant victory. Go on. So death, tell me. Where's your victory? Tell me death. Where's your sting? The sting of, of death. It is sin that gives death its sting. And it's the law that gives sin its power. Go on. But we thank God for giving us the victory as conquerors through our Lord Jesus. The anointed one. So stand firm, stable, and enduring. Live your lives with an unshakable confidence.
We know that we prosper and excel in every season by serving the Lord because we are assured that our union with the Lord makes our labor productive with fruit that endures. Hallelujah. Does that answer the question? 1 John 3 and 2. 1 John 3 and 2. Quickly. Beloved, we are God's children right now. However, however, it is not yet apparent what we will become. King James says what we shall look like. But we do know that when it is finally made visible, we will be just like him. For we will see him as he truly is. Whatever body that will be, I don't care. I have the assurance that when I see him, how he, as I'm seeing him and seeing how he is, that's how I shall be. Hallelujah. Praise God. The tabernacle of God shall be with men. I got a message here saying, so would you say we are sat with him now in the heavenly until this heaven and earth pass away and he brings us back to earth to colonize as his original intention? I believe I've explained now. It should be clear now that you know that where we are sat with him in heavenly is not a physical location, but a system, a reality, an expression of our citizenship, where we are from, before they sent us to where they sent us, to do what they sent us to do. Does that make sense? Our reality is that of heaven. Amen? Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the truth simply put or at wildthechurch. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus 234-70-881-8864. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.